John 14, John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare, I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Father, we thank you for this great promise of your word and the thing that your son said so clearly to us that he's going to come someday to take us to be with him. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be comforted by this and we would learn in this and grow in it, be established in our hope and in the purity of your word. And, Father, have clear, true doctrine so we can walk in righteous faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment, say hello to a few people around you and greet them in the name of the Lord. Last week, we began to talk about, thank you, thank you, John. Last week, we began to talk about end-time events and uh, our need to be aware of how we should live in light of end-time events. And, and I would just tell you tonight that you, we need to be cautious with this. The Bible is clear about the things we need to know. It makes it very clear. Uh, but when people begin to get too enamored with the end-time events, it misses the message of the end time events. I'm going to get to that in a minute tonight. What is this message of what our life should be like today because of end time events and what the Bible says is going to happen? And I would just, just tell you to be cautious whenever you get somebody who's reading way in between the lines and they're trying to tell you something about end time events and they're, they're extrapolating things and they're Here's one of my favorites, is when somebody looks at me and says, uh, yes, I was studying the Greek, I was studying this, and I, I've discovered that this word really means this, and, and, and that makes it all mean this. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this person, and I'm saying, wow, for 2,000 years, theologians have missed the truth that you just discovered. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. All these theologians, all these years didn't pick it up, but you got it. Uh, I, I, that just raises a red flag for me when somebody begins to twist things uh, too far. The New Testament refers to the second coming of Jesus more than 300 times. Now, I want you to get your mind around that a little bit more than 300 times throughout the New Testament. The writers talk about Jesus coming again. We just read their quotation of Jesus' statement, who says to us, I've, I told you I prepared a place. If I go to prepare a place, why would I do that if I'm not coming back to get you someday? Another passage is in Acts chapter 1. And this is the word of the angels at the time of the ascension of Christ. And it says, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, there's a couple of things here that are really important. One, he says, why, why are you just looking at the heavens? I mean, why, why are you doing that? And this is what I think some people get caught up when their whole life gets caught up in just thinking about the second coming. Is there, they're just looking into the heavens. There's a job for them to do. There's a work that is preeminent for them to do. And, he's, and what the angel's saying is, you know, do what you've been told to do. And remember, the same way he left, he's going to come again someday. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. He realizes his days on this earth are just about over, and he's been faithful. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to, to all who loved his appearing. So the call of this is that we should live in anticipation of the day. We should live with a thought that the day could come at any moment, at any second. The Lord could come. And we should live our life not worried about other, but worried and concerned about what that day means. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's telling us what our attitude should be like. What is our blessed hope? We hope in the appearing of Christ. I'd be happy if he came right now. I'd be fine with that, wouldn't you? The Lord just came right now. We could just be done with some of this stuff. Jesus has redeemed us. He's purified us. He makes us, listen, zealous for good works. Can you say that with me? Zealous for good works. So we look at ourselves and we say, okay, by faith we believe that he's redeemed us. Now, let's ask some follow-up questions. Have we allowed him to purify us? Has our language gotten purified? Has our conduct gotten purified? Has our attitude towards other people become purified? Has he purified us? Next question. Has he made me zealous for good works? Am I passionate about doing something that makes a difference? Because that's what he's going to do in my life. 
He's going to redeem us, which we're grateful for. Amen? The grace of God, we're redeemed. We're paid for. The debt is taken away. But then he goes on and he purifies us. He cleans us up and begins to work in our life and make us pure and changes us from the corruption of this world to the purity of God, where instead of being a part of the problem, we're a part of the answer. And he makes us zealous, zealous, passionate to do good things. I love to be around zealous people. Zealous people can drive you crazy. But I love to be around zealous people because when they're zealous, no, what, what, do you like, what, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, a zealous person has something they feel called to do. They're excited about doing it. They're pouring their life into doing it. They see it as a way of making a difference in the world. And here's where they drive me crazy. Sometimes they can't see why everybody isn't doing what they're doing. Why isn't everybody working in the children's department? Well, thank God not everybody's working in the children's. Some people aren't supposed to be in the children's department. Amen? Yeah, don't, you know, don't go there just because you, you think you're... Some, go there because you're zealous to go there. This is, what we, this is why finding your gifts is so important. This is why we do, uh, do, do start, starting point. We can go through and take a gift analysis and begin to look at your passions. We want you to connect with the place where you'll be so zealous about it that when you're doing other things, you're kind of daydreaming about it. I know guys who are zealous about golf. You get around them, you talk for 15 minutes, it won't be long. They'll be telling yeah, I've already played golf eight times this year, and this is where I played at, and this is what I did, and I got a new, a new golf club for my brother, and the golf just starts pouring out of them. You got to get around somebody who's zealous about, you know, pro battles. Oh, well, that team got swept in four, and this team, they're really, they'll tell you all about it. And they're, why? They're zealous for it. I'm going to tell you, God wants you to make, wants to make you zealous about something that is meaningful, that will last for eternity. And he wants you to find that. He's created you so when you find that thing, it'll bring life into you. And you'll find yourself, instead of dreaming about your golf score or the next vacation you're going to take, you're dreaming about how can we do that better? How can I make that happen? How can I touch more people? How can I have a breakthrough in this? What God, what would you have us to do? Because you become zealous. I love that word, don't you? Zealous, passionate, driven. So I would ask you today, you know, inside of the kingdom, has, have you allowed him to make you zealous? Because that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Zealous for good works. Now, the early church believed he could return at any moment. At any moment. And so should we. See, I, I've heard people teach, well, this has to happen, and that has to happen, and that has to happen before the return of Christ. And they'll name things that, you know, they mined out of the Word of God some way that have to happen. Just captures. Paul didn't believe that. New Testament believers didn't believe that. They believed he could come at any moment. At any second, the Lord could come. And that's the way we should live. We should live as a people who understand that at any moment, uh, he could return and he could be among us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord, always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. At this time in the early days of the church, they, were so, they had so much anticipation that the Lord was going to return at any time that as time went by, in the Thessalonian church in particular, rumors began to arise that he had already returned and they had missed him, that he wasn't there. And so now Paul writes to them to assure them that they haven't missed the second coming of the Lord. And it's from this passage that we get the word rapture. The word rapture itself does not appear in the Bible. And, and sometimes you'll talk to people, and if you begin to present or say something about the Lord's coming, they'll go, oh, that's not even in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. And if you're not aware of that, you kind of, really, it's not? No, the word rapture in the sense of the word rapture is not in the Bible. It comes from this passage. It comes from this place. That we get the word rapture from the Latin word caught up that is here in this, in this passage, that we are caught up with him. So the picture that Paul is writing to them is he's telling them there's a day coming. There's a day, the day, and when you read through Scripture, you're being watch for that word, the day. There's a day coming when the Lord will the trumpet call of God will sound, and believers will be, that are on this earth at that time, will be swept out of this place in an instant. They'll be gone in an instant. That's, 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 what, the, that's what all the New Testament points us to. The day of the rapture will be a great day for believers. It's a great day for believers. Now, there's going to be many bad things going on here just before the rapture. This is why we need to get our doctrine right, because there's going to, for the believers who are here just before the rapture, there's going to be a lot of terrible things happening on this earth. There are a lot of terrible things happening now. But there'll be a lot of really bad things going on on this earth. But just at, at that moment before then, before that time, the grace of God has rest up, rested upon the earth, and the Spirit of God and the church are supposed to be holding back evil. We're supposed to be resistant to evil. We're supposed to resist evil in a couple of ways. One, with our own personal lifestyle, we are to resist evil. We are to resist evil in our, in our testimony. We are to resist evil in not giving in to the cultures of our day. When we give in to the culture of our day, when we begin to buy into the lies of the day, when we begin to accept the moral standard of the day, 
then we become, instead of a people resisting those things, we we give into it. Now, I want to get really personal here. Because we can sit here and we can talk about big ticket items like abortion. That we should be resistant to it, pray against it, talk to our friends, be educated enough to talk to our friends about it, and pray for convicting power to happen. And, and I believe that's an important part of our, our job. I would tell you, though, that probably a portion that we miss is how we are resistant to evil in our attitude of life. It's how do we conduct ourselves in life. And, and do I walk into work and... You know, am I gossiping? Am I buying into the gossip of the day? Am I a part of the complaining? Am I negative? Am I, am I hard to work with? Or am I somebody that comes into that setting with the grace of God on me and tries to bring joy into that place, tries to bring help and ministry into that place, tries to bring positive transformation into it? I think we resist evil more in those places than we do sometimes in the big ones. And when we do them in those places, it opens the door for people to see what God's done in us, be drawn to Christ where he takes care of the big ticket items, where he moves in things. But when we have a nasty attitude, a nasty spirit, when we give in to the flesh, when we give in to the ugliness of the world and the ugliness of our flesh, and we you know, try to live sensually or we try to you know, conduct ourselves in a some sort of a power game or any, of the, any one of the cultural things that bring havoc, we become a part of the problem instead of part of the answer. Are, are you getting this? So we're supposed to be, in light of the, the coming of the Lord, living, resistant. Now, the second, the second the church is taken away, then the judgment of God will follow. And this earth will not be a pleasant place to be. Now, about the first three and a half years, it'll go pretty good. But what's happening in those first three and a half years is people who are absolutely spiritually broken are rising into power. They're getting more and more power around them. Ruthless people who want to be worshipped themselves by the power of the enemy are sweeping into power in our world. And at the end of that three and a half years, it's going to get really, really ugly. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. So capture this. The rapture is only for believers. A righteous generation will be snatched away someday, but will leave behind those not covered by the blood. Now I'm going to tell you something here that I believe that children, you take our little, little baby, Hattie. I believe if the Lord came today, Hattie would go to heaven. I believe there's other babies that wouldn't. I've had somebody say, oh, all the babies will be gone. I don't think so. I say, why don't you think so? Because the New Testament points us back, it points us back to Egypt and it points us back to the day of the Passover. And it points us back 
to this point where they painted the blood on the doorposts and the children in the home that had the blood of Christ on it were under the covenant protection of God and those who weren't were not. They said, wow, how, how fair can that be? Well, well remember this. If, a baby, if the Lord came today, the Lord came today and raptured the church, a baby born today is going to be seven years old when the, when the, when the, uh, the end of the tribulation takes place. It'll be seven years old. There will still be people, this is one of the confusions I had as a kid growing up, there will still be people here on this earth who will get saved during the tribulation. Now, most of them that are adults will get saved because they've heard the word and they recognize what happened. They realize, mom and dad are gone. My crazy cousin is gone. My friend at work that was always wit witnessing to me is gone. And they will know enough, they'll recognize things, and they'll cry out to God. The Bible says, in most cases, they will have to pay for that belief with their life. That when, the, when, the, when the, the Antichrist, the evil one, gets in power, he will bring war upon them. And many of them will die in that moment. Some, some will transition into the millennium and Christ will deal with them there and deal with those who didn't get killed during that. But it's going to be a, we'll talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. It's going to, that time is going to be a devastating time here on this earth. Nobody wants to be around for that time. And, and most of the earth is going to be pretty wiped out. In Romans chapter 8, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For, this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do, see, do not see, we wait for it with patience. First, first uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 50, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. A couple of truths about the rapture. One, it will happen suddenly. Suddenly. There's going to be no, uh, I, I see it coming, I better cry out to God in the next 10 seconds. It'll happen suddenly. The trumpet will sound and people will be gone. I believe, personally, I believe it will be explained away. I don't believe there's going to be open graves. I've seen movies where they have open graves or houses with the roofs, with a hole in the roof with a person shot through the hole in the roof. I don't, I don't believe any of that's going to happen. I believe God, I think all the laws of nature in those sense are going to be suspended in that moment and the Christian's just going to be gone. 
And I believe that for the most part, for the most part, there'll, there'll be people who get, there'll be people who figure out what happened. There'll be, there'll be liberal theologians that'll put two and two together. There'll be people who were raised in church that'll put two and two together. But I don't think there's going to be any big headlines in, our, in the paper. I don't think CNN or any of them are going to come out and say, or Fox News or anyone going to come out and say, the rapture of the church happened yesterday. We can see all the Christians around the world are gone. I think there's going to be, they'll, they'll explain it away some way. There'll be some excuse, something will happen that will allow them to explain it away and for life to go on pretty much as normal. And the Christians will be gone. But here's the second thing for us. Listen to this. We shall be like him. This is a transforming moment for those who are already in heaven awaiting for the coming of the Lord and for us. For the spirit of man and for us, this is a transforming moment. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. At that moment, we will no longer be subject to any form of death. We will put, we, the mortal will put on immortality. Sickness, no more problems with sickness. All the things about our bodies, all the things about us that are under the curse, that show the curse, will be gone and a new immortal body will be given to us and we will have none. You have allergies? Gone. You need glasses? Gone. Now all the things, from the little, small little things to the back aches, to all just the little stuff to the great big stuff. Gone. In an instant. New immortal bodies. We'll see him the immortal one, the great one, and we shall be like him. That's good news, friends. Amen? That is God's plan. That is God's plan for our life. For the believers, we'll be in heaven for a period, and this will be a time of real celebration. There's going to be some partying going on at that point in time. Reunions are going to go on. Revelation's going to go on. Celebration's going to go on. I mean, just think about how you're going to feel in that moment when every hope you have is now come true. You see God in His greatness. You, all the aches and pains of your body, you don't feel them anymore. You see loved ones coming up all around you that have gone home before you. All, this, all the junk of this world is now behind. No more mortgages. No more bills to pay. No more of that junk going on. We're like him. Clear of mind, clear of spirit, seeing like we've never seen before. You think that's going to be a party? That's going to be a party. Now, I would tell you, part of the party is going to, part of the thing that's going to happen is there will also be the believer's judgment. This is what we talked about a little bit last week when we talk about the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of whether we've received Christ or not, and the judgment seat of Christ. At the believer's judgment, we will be judged. This is where we get this stuff where you'll be judged by every word that you say 
And people misconstrue that, and they take that, and they say, oh, if you don't say just the right thing, you're not really saved. Listen, if you don't do just the right thing, you're not really saved. If you don't give just the right way, you're not really saved. If you don't pay your tithe, you're not really saved. All, none of that's true. We're not saved by anything that we do. You cannot tithe and go to heaven. That's a fact. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to look very good. When you step before the one who blessed you with everything and gave you life and gave you eternal life that you said you believed in with all of your heart, that moment of judgment is not going to be. The Bible describes this to us in a couple of verses. Let's, let's look at a couple of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is what, if you want to get a, a, a mission statement for our lives as an individual believer, this is it. We make it our aim to please him. What am I supposed to do to, to get to God, I want to please you today. I want to please you today. I don't know how many times in the morning I get up and say, God, I, I want to please you today. Help me today. I don't know what's coming. I know good and bad will come, moments of faith, moments of question, all this will come. Help me to please you today. And at the night, how many times I sit there and go, God, how did I do today? Did I please you today? And how many times in that moment the God, God will go, uh, not quite. Remember this conversation? Remember this thing? Remember what you did here? That's not in my perfect will. Grow up. I haven't lost my salvation. I'm saved. I'm just not living to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether, listen, good or evil. Good or evil. I, I, I'm just going to confess to you. I, I know so, I've known some people in my life where when I was a young man, I, what I did with them, to them, uh, it was evil. Some of them I knew for a very short time. Some of them came in and out of my life very, very quickly, and I've never seen them since. But their, their, their faces are seared in my spirit as I pray at times. And I'll pray, God, I was not a good witness for you. I didn't say what I should have said. I didn't act the way I should have acted. I don't know where they're at. I don't, I don't even remember their name. God, you do. Send somebody into their life. Ah, that'll be a better Christian than I was. God, don't let what I did to them, what I said to them, how I acted towards them, don't let that be the final testimony in their life. Because, see, we're going to get what we're due, whether good or evil. We're going to get what's coming to us. Our words, our actions, the way we treat others, whether we poured our life, whether we were generous or not generous, whether we really live this thing out with this thought. God, today, am I pleasing to you? Am I pleasing to you? Is this what you want me to do? Is this how you want me to, to conduct myself? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Let, for no one 
can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Here it is, capital D, capital D the day. We'll disclose it because it will be re revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So he himself will be saved, but only is through the fire. Only is through the fire. So each one of us in that time will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and it's not a comparative place. It's an obedient place. I'm, I'm not going to be compared to somebody else. I'm going to be judged for how obedient I was. You know, Billy Graham's, in, he's got his own thing going. I don't have to worry about Billy Graham. I'm going to be judged for whether I was obedient, whether I did what I was supposed to do. And so are you. Did I get involved in ministry? Did I, did I witness when I was supposed to? Did I let my spirit get changed? Did, did, I, did I raise my children with a, with a prime focus to love and serve God, or didn't I? What did I do with the life that I had? From the moment I became, I became aware of Christ and I began to live my life to please Him, what, what did I do with the money God blessed me with? What did I do with the resources God blessed me with? What did I do with the talents God blessed me with? Did I, did I take my talents to the local bars or did I take them into the house of God to glorify God? Where did I take them? How did I use them? What did I do with them? And each man is going to be judged according to what he's due. And so for me and everything that I do, I want to know, God, is this pleasing to you? Because the rapture's coming someday. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know when time's going to run out and my day of being, being able to be obedient is going to be over. It could be before this night's over. I don't know. But when it comes, Lord, I want to stand there and know that as much as I knew to do, I, I learned, I got it, I grew, I became faithful to you, I lived the way you told me to live, I asked myself, is this obedient according to the word? And I want to live that way because on that day, friend, it's going to be either reward or loss. What Calvary Church has done, what we do, will be tested by the fire. And what we did in his name is going to last. And what we did to appease our culture, what we did to get glory for ourselves, is going to be lost. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, the world can forget my name as long as they hear this one thing, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's what we, we've got to be about this hope of Jesus Christ. So one of the signs of faith, let me repeat this, one of the signs of real faith, say, am I, am I really where I'm supposed to be? One of the signs is, are you zealous for his work at any place? If you're not, if you, if you can sit here today and say, you know what, uh, I come to church, but I've kind of retired from work in the kingdom. Well, why has he left you here? Why are you still here? You've all heard me say this before. A retirement party in the kingdom is a funeral. 
They get to go on home. They're done with their work. They're finished. God calls them home. Until then, as long as I have the mental capacity, I've got to be, I'm supposed to be working for the kingdom. And so where is that place today where you're saying, you know what? I'm pouring every ounce of me into this for the glory of God's kingdom to make a difference in the world that I live in. Boy, if the church would do that. The church in America would rise up and say, you know what? I'm going to look at my money. I'm going to look at my time. I'm going to look at my talents. I'm going to look at my resources. I'm going to look at places where I have influence. I'm going to look at things I'm passionate about. And I'm going to use all these gifts and talents to pour into these places for the glory of God's kingdom. We change the world, folks. The church is unstoppable when we do what God tells us to do. We should use caution because we should be asking ourselves all the time, am I living to please God? Am I living to please God? Boy, what a great thing when you are. And then the, then, then the question is, what am I building? What is your life building? We're trying to build a church here, a fellowship here, that will be a New Testament church that will compel every person in central Illinois to seriously consider the claims of Christ, to support ministries around the world that will do the same, that will help people w- who walk into our doors to discover life to its fullest in Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And the question we've got to ask, you you need to ask yourself, what are you doing to help make that happen? And if you can walk out the door tonight going, man, I'm excited about the vision that God's given us. I'm excited about the, the mission he's called us to. And here's the 10 things I'm doing. Here's the five things I'm passionately doing to help make that happen. Praise God. If you walk out here going, well, that's, that's probably all that scriptural. I mean, I, Jesus actually said that he came that we could have life to the full, and he actually told us to go into all the world and make disciples. Hope somebody's up to that. <laughs> the judgment seat of Christ isn't going to be a great place for you for a few minutes, folks. You'll be saved as one through the fire. You don't make it happen because it's the grace of God that we're saved by. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. But if we're really saved, he's gonna, he redeems us, he purifies us, and he makes us zealous for his work. So that's the challenge. Next week, I'm going to tell you when the rapture is going to happen. Okay. okay, I want to be clear. I'm not going to tell you a date or a time. I'm going to tell you at what point in time in history I believe it's going to happen. And you may walk out the end of the day saying, oh, I disagree. I think it's going to happen at this point in time or that point. I'm not giving dates, but I'm giving the circumstances of it, and I'll tell you why. And this is one of those things where, where faithful Christians can disagree and still love each other and serve with each other and be friends with each other and just disagree. You know, if you, if, frankly, if you want to wait to the end of the tribulation to go home to be with the Lord, you can stay if you want to. I prefer to leave. And I'll tell you why I believe what I believe. And uh, why I believe that rapture happened and why I believe it scripturally. But today, I, I just want to challenge you before we go to consider your focus. I'm going to have Dan come up. He's going to lead us in a song. And I want you to consider your focus. As we've been talking about what we believe, what we believe should move us someplace. And the first place I challenge you to let it move you to is, am I living every day pleasing to God? Am I letting Him purify me? 
Am I zealous for his work? How is God using me to make a difference in a dark world? Father, tonight I'm aware that I'm talking to uh, believers who are serious about knowing your will. And Father, we're aware that the, the concerns, the desires uh, of this world can seduce us and trick us into thinking there are things that are important that really aren't important. They're really so temporal, meaningless. Lord, we pray you not let that happen to us. We pray that in our church, Father, there would just be a growing desire to live pleasing to you. That, Father, the way we talk in our small groups, the way we counsel our friends, the way we walk in our ministries, Father, would that we'd bring this contagious spirit of wanting to please you. That, Father, we would have the wisdom and the boldness when somebody suggests something else, not to be seduced with it and go along with it, but to say, wait a second, is that, you really think that's pleasing to the Lord? Is that really what we should be worried about? Father, help us to do those things that are righteous and true. So, Father, we pray you'd help us to live in light of pleasing you and live in light, Father, of not only the great white throne judgment where we will find ourselves completely redeemed by the work of your Son and welcomed in for all eternity. But let us also live in light of the judgment seat of Christ where we'll get what we're due. And Lord, let us live with the joy of investing in eternity. So be with this congregation. Bless them. Father, wherever you need to speak to them, whatever the issue might be in their life, whether it's time to step up and get involved in a ministry, or uh, Father, whether it's time to, to begin to create something you've called them to create. Father, whatever it is, let us follow you wholeheartedly, whether we need to change our attitude at work or amongst our family. Let us hear your still, small voice in our heart and let us obey and walk in the fullness of your grace. Father, I love these men and women here tonight. I'm so grateful they're here. Fill them with your peace. Fill them with your grace. Fill them with your passion. And let them walk under the leading of your spirit every day. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you tonight. Go in the name of the Lord and live to please him.